Welcome to the CEO.Digital Show. My name's Craig McCartney. And I'm Darcy Thompson-Fields. And this is an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights that will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders now and in the future. You can find out more and stay up to date at CEO.Digital. This week, we were speaking to Flavilla Fongang, who had one of the longest list of accolades of our guests so far, I believe. And, you know, I mean, it was absolutely a pleasure to talk to her. What was one of your highlights from the interview, Craig? One of the standout points for me, Darcy, was talking about diversity. Listening to Flavilla's real world experience just highlights the desperate need for more diversity in our workforces. And, you know, she mentioned it starts at the top, right at board level. Mm. You know, you're having a diverse board also then will um, inspire future generations knowing that they can make it to that level. So, you know, we, we definitely get a bit more in depth around that. So don't want to give too much away in this as a spoiler. And what about you? Yeah, that's so important. Um, I think one standout point for me, a, a slightly fresher take that I haven't thought about before, is as a result of you know the changes, the the disruption to the way that we're working, the way that we're living, and the the sort of trickling out of the city that we're seeing, is the idea that we're possibly looking at a bit of reinvigoration and reinventing of small towns and of the high street itself. Uh, you know, there's potential lots of opportunity for smaller businesses, smaller boutiques to open up, take advantage of the the more localised custom that they can now expect. So yeah, I thought that was a really kind of exciting, fresh approach to the changing world that we're currently living in. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just talking to her, you realise Flavilla's views um, are ahead of the curve. So, you know, lots to look forward to within the, the, the podcast itself. Shall we get into it? Let's do it. Our guest this week is Flavilla Fongang of Three Colours Rule. Flavilla is an award-winning businesswoman, international keynote speaker, MD, author, and creative brand strategist. She's the founder of TLA, Black Women in Tech, Tech Brains Talk podcast host, and a guest brand specialist for the BBC. Flavilla was a guest marketing and brand strategy lecturer at Goldsmiths University. She mentors at London Metropolitan University and was named the most influential businesswoman by LinkedIn. Her creative branding and marketing agency has already received multiple awards and works predominantly in the tech sector. Flavilla is these things and many more, but the best way of finding out more is to dive right in. Flavilla, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so obviously we, we've spoken before. We know a little bit about your background um, and find your journey extremely interesting. But for the benefit of our guests, can you tell us a little bit about you know, your journey and how you got to where you are today? And I guess uh, as a starting point, you know, when you arrived in London in, in 2002. Yeah, sure. What a crazy journey when I think about it. I'm, I think it's funny, there's a bit of random and there's a bit of, of trust and uh, love for adventure. That's probably what led me to where I am right now. But um, I moved to London in 2002 when I was studying and uh, um, I didn't speak a word of English, even though sometimes I feel like I still don't. 
People say, what are you saying, Flavella? <laughs> so yes, so I, I moved to London. I didn't speak a word of English, but I was, I just thought, you know, it's not too far away. If anything goes wrong, I can always go back to Paris. So I just wanted to improve my English. And I realized that English is a great way to be able to travel around the world. You know, there's a lot of places that, you know, if you don't speak anything, if they think that you can, get, can take you to go a lot of places is English. And that was really one of my first driver. And yes, I study economics and law and marketing and communication <laughs> and also did an MA in international business. I left university really loads of great, um, <laughs> loads of great qualifications, not enough work experience and, you know, went through a lot of hurdles and struggles to find a job. Mm. And this led me to do all sorts of random things, um, you know, from door-to-door sales to work in retails, translation, until I found this job, you know, this opportunity uh, in a, as a receptionist, because I was, you know, what I had is that I was overly qualified. So on paper, I was very expensive, but I was also very useless because <laughs> I had no experience. So I was in between, you know, the one that, oh my gosh, how much I'm going to pay? She's not going to stay, you know, and, you know, it's expensive every time to recruit somebody. But, and uh, I chose this job as a receptionist, but what I was looking for was the potential of that company. And I think what, the reason why they gave it to me is because they were also very hungry to grow and they did grow very well and expanded. And so as a result, I ended up, you know, running my own department and this job, this opportunity in the event industry led me to travel around the world, you know, in the Middle East, you know, a lot of places probably I would have not necessarily paid a yes. ticket <laughs> to go to, um, but yeah, and it was a great experience and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, that's where, you know, my interest towards, um, you know, technology was already somehow already born. I always look at technology as a way to provide convenience. And that's what technology should be about. And, um, you know, I always say to my team, how can we be smart lazy today? You know, what I mean by that, that if we can use technology to help us do, you know, remove any boring task, then why not remove that? And that's really where, you know, I improved a lot of, um, and I added a lot of innovation where we, you know, we delivered, you know, as project and so forth. But I reached a point where I, I could, I wasn't feeling challenged and I was at a fashion, you know, passion for fashion. And I followed that, you know, that new experience in my life and I decided to become a fashion consultant, a brand fashion consultant, brand consultant in the luxury sector as well. And um, nobody believed me when I say, yeah, I'm going to quit. <laughs> I say, you're never going to quit. You have such a good job. You're good, well-paid. Why would you do that? It's insane. I say, yeah, I want to do that because for me, life is about living and doing something different. And yes, and from that point, um, you know, I worked with a number of brands, some of them, you know, about to die, Debenhams, um, House of Fraser, El Cabinet, and so forth. And, you know, and something, you know, I, I reached a point, I realized that, well, I can't really do, I can't really grow if I'm exchanging time against money. It's not very efficient, you know, which is, you know, it's not a problem for, it's not a problem for a lot of people. But for me, I was, you know, I had really big goals. And um, that's when, you know, I decided to move to become an agency. But again, the agency was very much focused around, you know, a lot of industries, so FMCG, luxury fashion, and so forth. And we were a bit of a the bad hairdresser. You know the the hairdresser, the great hairdresser of bad hair, should I say? So I mean, we also give advice to clients to pick a niche, and we were not picking our own niche, and we decided to focus on technology, which was you know a bit scary at first, but a, a best move we've ever made, and from that the rest was just history, and it's been such a fun journey since then. So let's talk a little bit about um, your current role. 
and I know there's a few things to get through, but let's start at the top. Um, three colors rule. What drove you to set up the agency and what is it that you guys do? What challenges do you solve and what work do you do for your clients? Great question. Yes. Yeah, so three colors really was just, you know, the way I've always seen is that being good at what you do is not sufficient. You have to be good at presenting yourself. And that's really where, you know, my interest for fashion was always great because I realized I knew how to present myself. So therefore it opened so many doors for myself where, you know, I would be invited to private events and so forth just because of how I presented myself. And the same thing for business. If you think about business, there's a difference between being a coffee shop and, and Starbucks. Starbucks is a brand and the coffee shop sells coffee. Well, Starbucks, you know, is it's not about coffee anymore. People don't go to, to Starbucks to get coffee. They go to maybe take some, you know, some Insta photos <laughs> and brag about having a coffee with a name badly spelled. Or they just, you know, they think that it's a place where I can meet great other entrepreneurs. So it's an experience that, you know, that is beyond just this, you know, the product or the service delivery. So that's what we do. And, and the reason why I chose technology is because there's so many talented amazing individuals out there creating some amazing products, but they have no idea in terms of how to speak to people in the right language, how to talk about their their why, their purpose, or you know, the benefits they're offering. And that's also why there's such a high level of, of failure in the tech sector. Very, very high. And at the same time when the company, a tech company is successful, they have the power to really make a difference and make an, a massive impact. And we've seen it, you know, through this pandemic, you know, people have been able to stay connected thanks to a number of technology tools. And that's why it's so relevant. So we do everything from brand strategy. So helping people really articulate effectively their value position, why people should choose them. Then brand identity, the visual presentation, the logo, the website, the all shebang, how, you know, how great you look. And then the marketing, which is very much how do you go out there to promote, reach out your target audience and so forth. Could be anything from pre-campaign partnership and so forth, which is a lot of fun. And behind that, you know, it's behind our own methodology, which is called the DAC system. You know, D stands for distinguish, A stands for attract, and C for convert. If you do this in the wrong order, then it will be much more difficult to achieve success. And a lot of people skip strategy and skip identity and go straight into marketing and business development and realize why it costs them so much to convert. So your primary focus at Three Colors Rule is to help tech brands move people, businesses, and the world forward. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you chose this as your uh, main mission statement? And also, do you think there's a particular disconnect in the technology sector between you know the actual potential of these companies and then the brands that they present? Mm, I love this question. It's a very good question. And, you know, our statement, you know, as I say, you know, moving technology, people and the world forward is is really what is happening right now. You know, this pandemic has forced us to change the way we think, the way we operate. And if it wasn't for technology, you know, we probably would have been in a different place right now. And that's what it means. You know, we need to evolve. And as you know, the beauty as well of any, you know, tragic or adversity, it forces people to think and come out of that comfort zone, you know, and people have yeah. been very compliant, uh, complacent, should I say, not compliant, complacent in the, you know, in the situation we are in. And therefore now they have to rethink in terms of how they do things. And this is what, it, this is what is great, you know, when you, when you have problems, there's people out there who want to solve this. But we have, when it comes to technology, I think there's a part of technology brands that need to 
reevaluate, you know, what they do beyond just this, you know, the, the product or service delivery or service delivery, what are we doing and why are we doing it is so important. And I think that's really what creates, you know, make a decision between amazing brand and just businesses or who just, you know, just deliver a service. And the one way we spend a lot of time on understanding the, the impact of the technology, whatever they in B2B or B2C, are able to win big. I able to create great brand advocates who are so popular and, and believe every word that comes out of their mouth. And that's something that, you know, again, something where marketing is quite often overlooked. It's not just in technology. I think it's everywhere. It's quite often mm. overlooked as, you know, when there's, there's a situation like that, people cut off their marketing budget, <laughs> which is a thing that you should definitely not cut off. And that's something that, you know, we, you know, I spend a lot of time educating, having conversation with other tech leaders, you know, to make them realize that, you know, being great at what you do is not sufficient anymore. Yeah. Being great at what you do is expected. What are you doing beyond that? And I think we are in a new era where people are, are exhausted of brands just being driven by money. What is your play in societal issues? You know, and that should be part of your brand, you know, m- you know, vision, mission as well, just beyond just, you know, the, the money aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. I think people really rely on kind of brands to have integrity and they, they buy into that beyond just the product. I think you're, you're totally right. Um, being a marketer myself, um, I can't help but spy that you offer a branding, neuromarketing and personal branding masterclass. And I'm especially interested in the neuromarketing aspect. Can you tell us a little bit more about what neuromarketing <laughs> is and how to tap into it? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I try to remember the last time how I came across new marketing. It's, it's actually one of my guests. Oh, wow. You know, we were, I was doing some events, I think it was two or three years ago for this company. I can't remember the name. And they had all sorts of interesting uh, topics, uh, yoga and beer and <laughs> or how to think like, a, you know, how to understand the mind of a murderer and all sorts wow. of things. So they wanted to have really speakers. <laughs> they really want to have speakers who are not doing the usual marketing, the traditional marketing. And I was thinking, okay, what can I talk about? And I did my research and I came across, you know, um, you know, new marketing. So what is this? And again, you know, I want to tell people that everything that I've done in my life after the university has been through self-teaching. So I did a lot of things, even when I became a fashion consultant, has been through self-teaching. Mm. So new marketing was my self-teaching teaching journey. I was like, okay, if I want to get on board with this company, I need to find something, an interesting subject. And Neuromarketing is about understanding this. It's the psychology of, of understanding, you know, consumer purchasing behavior. How do we, one makes us purchase a product, one makes us choose a brand. And when we understand that, and I think that's something that is quite often overlooked by marketers. If you understand psychology, you become such a better marketer at everything. And the brain, you know, think about the brain. The brain is a, like a computer in some way. You know, it takes, and it's a, the brain is the biggest organ. It takes too much time if we have to use full capacity of our brain to make a decision. So what the brain will do is go back to what they know or a situation that they've been into and say, okay, if this, if you see a guy with a hoodie on his head, you should be a bit more mindful. If you see a guy with a nice suit, so, you know, looks pretty you know, trendy, you probably should, you know, trust him and maybe ask him for direction. Yes. This is how, you know, also how stereotypes are born, you know, this mm. all how, you know, it's not just in, in, in consumer, it's in everything, societal issues and so forth. And when you understand, you know, the five triggers, you know, the five stimuli of the brain, you can use that in the creation of your, of your marketing content and so forth. So people always, you know, they trust, you know, if you think about Amazon, for example, 
You know, the first thing you do when you buy, you look something on Amazon, you scroll down to look at <laughs> the feedback of other people. If people love it, you're probably going to buy it. If you see probably one, <laughs> one star feedback, you might just, you know, judge it. So again, so many people trust the word of experts or, or you know, if you use, you know, um, you know, statistics to validate your information. There's a lot of things like that you can use in your new marketing, which I speak in details. But the more you understand this, you know, the psychology of, you know, of purchasing behavior, the more you're able to create campaign that wins. And that's what I love. So I miss giving this live talk where I will scare people off and realize how much they don't have control of their, of their own body. <laughs> <laughs> I think today's climate, there's a couple of key topics that we really want to get your insights on. And I'd like to uh, start with diversity, if I can. I, I feel... Um, you know, with a person um, such as yourself, with all your experience uh, and your knowledge, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss it uh, when we had a chance. So I guess the, the, the big question, talking about brands, do you feel that brands today are doing enough to promote diversity? Or do you feel that there's an element of doing the black square that, you know, is so popular <laughs> on Instagram? Um, you know, is it about optics or people? And what can business leaders do to overcome that, if it is? Mm, yeah, it's a big question. Diversity is one of the many problems that society has to deal with. And sometimes, you know, and I feel for marketers and I always want to be their advocate. As an agency, I, I don't have nobody around me to just tell me what I'm supposed to do with my content. But sometimes marketers, they've been pushed to say, okay, everybody's talking about this, then you have to go and talk about that. And they lose control of, you know, what is what is authentic, you know, to their brand and what is not because you want to do what everybody else is doing. And when I look at diversity, you know, it still feel like it's a broken record. We've been talking about it for such a long time and people seem to have somehow woken up with the George Floyd's, you know, that started, you know, you know, last year. Mm. Um, so the big brands have, you know, have, have started, we're at the beginning, let's be honest, this is the beginning, whatever we're doing right now, probably not going to impact on us in the workplace, but probably the next generation, but we had to start and we have to start. Yeah. So there are people who are doing something and educate themselves. This is what it is. A lot of people don't do anything because they don't understand and are scared of the repercussions. So the first step is educate yourself, start a conversation. And understand exactly how you can, you know, the, all the unconscious bias that you maybe we all have, not just, you know, everybody has them and be aware of that. So it starts with that. So, but one thing I would say that diversity is important, definitely for sure, because I understand the commercial value of it. Our, my team is extremely diverse, I'm 70% female, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I think about it, you know, uh, black, Asian, you know, Venezuelan, Spanish, all sort of thing, then we are a melting pot of cultural diversity. And if we all for the you know brand the same way, on earth could we come up with some really original brands? This is our strength. And I think people quite often by nature avoid the friction that comes with people that think differently from them. And that's why it keeps people very safe in hiring people who look like them. And I think they understand that sometimes you have to feel uncomfortable to achieve, you know, achieve great things. You know, that's the situation we're in. So yeah, so diversity is key and, you know, it's important, but at, at the same time, I want people to think about diversity as part of their natural journey, you know, when it comes to attracting talent and whatever doing out there um, to, to really bring people, not diversity just at the bottom, but also at the top. And, you know, I've created TLA Black Women in Tech. It's just the idea that 
why on earth am I the only black woman in this room again? You know, why sometimes I'm the only woman in this room? And I've, you know, I've always been accustomed to be sitting in, in board meetings with, you know, white men in their 50s, 70s, 60s. You know, they probably feel like, where's the boss? And when they hear me talk, they change their mind about who I am. And I don't mind being underestimated. It's always been my way, my strategy. But I didn't want to accept that this I was, again, the only one when I entered the world of technology. And I really decided for me it was about changing the narrative because I want to talk about again, but when I lived, when I left Paris, should I say, you know, I didn't have, there were no representation of black people on TV. So my perception of what I thought I could achieve was very low. I thought, oh, maybe the assistant of a manager, and that's sufficient for me. That was enough for me. So when you're being told and you're not seeing enough representation of people look like you, your aspiration stays as low as you, you know, your belief. The more you create this increase, the, you know, the, the mirror projection into people and see, oh, wow. Then the more you start, you know, you you build your self belief. Everything is a everything in life is is a mental strength before anything else. Yes, yeah, if you have a men, if you look at all the successful people in the world, they started with mental strength. Again, ability to just get yourself out of your comfort zone, try something different, and realize that as I shouldn't take only selfish decision. I need to think about how I can also help by helping the society. I also help myself, and that's what is beautiful about you know. What what you know TLA Blackman has been able to achieve, but again you know I'm I'm <laughs> I'm in front of companies having this conversation, very very uncomfortable conversation, to make things happen. But as I say, we are at the beginning, and you know it's an ongoing project. But step by step, we need to get there, and that's why I believe that it's not something that we we as Black people need to do ourselves. We need to have the power of allies to to open the doors because as I say. If we're not sitting at the table, we can't change the game. And we need people who, who are at this table and think about us so we can, you know, we can achieve big things for the benefit of all. Yeah, I mean, you touched on so many great points there, especially I think the fact that it does need to come from the top and it needs to be people in those rooms actually influencing, um, you know, kind of from a trickle-down strategy. Um also interested to kind of hear your thoughts on the current climate. So obviously, you know, we've moved from this office bound working to a world where kind of remote working is the norm for a lot of organisations where it is possible. Um, you know, I think we can all agree that the world of work has changed forever. It's very likely that we're going to see a hybrid working model kind of going forward. And that is here to stay with a lot of huge organisations making this change. This comes with an impact that can be both positive and negative. The fact that we are going to be kind of less London centric, that we can work with a distributed workforce with people working from anywhere. But also the fact that maybe if people don't have access to an office, they face their own challenges working at home. So what impact do you think this has and can have on diversity and accessibility? Do you feel it's helped or hindered efforts? Do you know, it's funny because we were already hybrid before this pandemic. So we mm. are always giving people the flexibility to choose if they wanted to work from home or not. And I'll tell you something, not everybody took that option. Some people wanted to come to the office every day. Yeah. And that's fine. And and the, the people who wanted to come to the office the most were the younger generation. People who have a family, you know, you have to understand that we have different lifestyles depending on where we are in the, in our, yeah in our life. Yeah, people who have a family probably want more flexibility of being able to be, to be able to be, I should say, at home and so forth. But the younger generation are just craving. Again, they probably don't have 
the two-bedroom house or the five-bedroom house where they can have their own study and so forth to be able to do that. So I think it's, you know, what it what people need to think about. There's no one-way system for all where everybody now has to be working from home or forcing everybody to work from home and so forth because it's not also feasible for everybody else, for everybody, should I say, where, again, something weird, you know, need to have, required to have either a good internet connection or have an office area where you're not being disturbed. Some people, we can share that accommodation. Not everybody has the luxury of not being disturbed or having all of that. So I think hybrid has worked for us, but also because we've allowed people to choose the way they wanted to work, but also because we've also given the the tools in place to make it work. So we've been on a, we were already on the cloud, but also our, yeah. my approach to, to management and, and leadership is very much, it's not input, it's output. So clarity in terms of what are the bigger goals that we need to achieve on a weekly basis, monthly basis, numbers, KPIs, and so forth, giving you as well the process in place to follow. So allowing the room for your own creative sense of how you want to deliver your work, managing your own time, understanding as well the bigger picture helps me have my web developer who moved to Thailand years ago, an English guy, moved to Thailand years ago. He hasn't stopped where he work, you know, and that's absolutely fine. It's a matter of, you know, it's a matter of trust, but also a matter of, of um, career journey we are in, where the younger one need more support, they need more interaction, where the one who may be in family and so forth, they've been there, they've done that. <laughs> They're like, you know, I don't need to see your face every day. I'm happy maybe coming to a feast twice or once a, once a week. So it's it's not a one-way system. And I think that's what people are forgetting. Like we are not, the shops are not open. The restaurants are not open. When this open, wanna, you know, I'm dying to go back to the city of London City and, you know, have a lunch, have a hug, hug someone without the fear of, you know, of giving them something, of them giving me something. Yeah. But now, you know, we are accepting this because we have no choice. But things will be very much different when we have, you know, this new normal comes back. Absolutely. So speaking of remote working and digital interactivity, what are your thoughts on, and I know it's very cliched, uh, the new normal, but you know, what are your thoughts on the new normal and how is consumer behavior changing? What can they expect um, you know, via digital channels? And what's the long-term effect do you think this will have? Mm, I love this question. Again, it really depends of uh, of um, the different category of consumers we have. If you think about the older generation, yes, they they couldn't imagine being able to do their banking on their phone. Yes, they used to go and spend a lot of time queuing at the bank. I can't remember the last time I went to the bank to even do anything at all. I was like, forget that. <laughs> I'm going online straight away. That's my first habit. So a lot of things have changed in terms of how we we consume, you know, we consume or buy or purchase or just consume information. So depending of where we are. So for me, I'm, I'm a bit of a tech <laughs> crazy person where I like to try different apps and so forth. I spend my, you know, I love that. So always find a way, you know, to, there's an app for everything. Uh, but at the end of the day, people still want to be connected. So in terms of consumer behavior, it's going to be a change in terms of how people think about how they, they are searching for information. We still want to be connected for sure. We still want to support how the local businesses. For me, I'm very fervent of supporting local businesses. So I like to buy local. This is super important. But I think it's also what I'm predicting is that with the decentralization of people moving around, there's also a revival of small towns. 
So it means that, you know, there's more going to be more boutique. I love this, you know, the idea of, mm. of seeing more boutiques, you know, everywhere. So you don't have to kind of go to the same center space to go and do your, you know, your shopping. You can discover more and more entrepreneurs who a lot of people now want to, don't want to work for other people. They want to start their own small business and follow their, so follow their passion. You know, a lot of people work on up and realize, I hate my job. <laughs> I'm going to do something that I really like. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that we should think about. How are we going to be supporting your small entrepreneurs? You don't have to be a unicorn tech company to be successful. You know, you can think about doing something that is sufficient, that gives you a good life balance, financial, financial, uh, you know, sufficiency or even more abundance for you to be able to live a decent life. And I think that's what I want to see. People are looking for more. People are exhausted, <laughs> mentally and physically exhausted and also putting on weight because we're not moving enough. So that's one thing that um, we, we, I want to see, and I'm hoping to see more decentralization and, and the arrival of small towns where we live. That's exactly what I wanted to speak about. So how you spoke about these boutique shops, how else can these small towns reinvent themselves? And what role will technology play in that? Mm, I love that. So... Oh, I'm working on a project and I can't tell you, but it's very much around this area. But yes, yeah, so I think the first thing we need to do is to buy have what the local, you know, what councils can do to really help businesses open open uh, shops out there. You know, you know, flexibility in terms of pricing and stuff like that. It's it's super super key. And really, you know, what support can we give to local entrepreneurs? You know, co-working places or maybe sharing stores and stuff like that. With regards to with regards to um, technology, of course, for sure, people want to know in terms of what is happening in my town. There's an app that I love called uh, Nextdoor, which is really cool. I've I've, I've learned so much about my neighbors. <laughs> We haven't yet meeting them. And I think that's what we're looking for. Are we really connected? I think it's harder in, in bigger towns, but it is more something that people are looking for. I'm actually spending enough time in my in my in in knowing my neighborhood. So technology can play a big part in helping people connect. And I think we're all craving, we are all social butterflies. We want to be able to be out there and make new connections. But it doesn't have to be with someone in the other you know, other part of the world. It could be someone just really nearby us. And I think this is element of more. Um, you know, social focus that um, people want to see and we want to all see. And also technology can be part of that, you know, you know, um, and if, with the way we communicate, where we connect and also facilitate, you know, the, the you know, the transaction of, of the way we, you know, you can have, people can, you know, small entrepreneurs can have access, can provide access to their services, you know, staying digital, but also, you know, having a boutique in place when it's necessary. Again, this element of, you know, I'm, I'm reimagining it as I would love to see it, where we don't want to lose touch of, of connecting with who have been behind those brands so we can really know who they are, but also the option of buying from them online when it is possible. Definitely. I mean, talking of online spaces, obviously, I love the idea that this kind of traditional high street that we're kind of talking about maybe losing as a result of the economic impact of the pandemic, um, but that can be replaced with kind of local businesses and, and new business owners. Um, but what one thing we're also seeing is obviously a lot of traditional brands and organizations take, for example, Topshop now being bought by ASOS and taking completely online. A lot of brands are having to shift to a, a purely digital presence so you know do we lose something when a brand moves away from that kind of physical output and physical contact could a purely digital output be harmful to the well-being and, and therefore the brand yeah i think this element it really depends where 
some brands decide to focus on. If you're in high consumption, such as ASOS, where people just, you know, high consumption, you know, staff, then they're very much focused on getting people to just buy continuously. But if you are, and I think that's what really worries me about, you know, going fully digital, which is not necessarily great as well for the environment because there's, you know, fast, high, you know, fast fashion is very impactful, you know, uh, on on the environment. And we really want to think about how we're doing that. And a lot of thing brands are kind of utilizing, fashion brands utilizing plastic to recreate, you know, their products. So they understand that we need to be more, you know, conscious in terms of how we do things, but it's not just, you know, it's not just fashion. I think this, you know, this, this element and danger behind keeping people behind their screen it's just not, I don't think it is good whatsoever. People need to feel that they're connected because this, by killing people behind the screen, we focusing people on, on, on reducing margins and people are not buying with a sense of, you know, of not buying with a sense of purpose and sending, if I'm spending a bit more from that company, I'm actually supporting their business. But if, you know, at the Amazon are like, are, are monsters, you know, when you buy from Amazon, you know, it's about margins, you know, what can you get the cheapest for the best deal? But when I go into, you know, I'm in Paris right now, so I can go for work around by Montmartre and speak to his little shop. It tells me where you get this chocolate from, you know, a small, small, small city, small town in Africa. I love that. And it doesn't bother me paying five euros or probably getting three euros, at, you know, at, you know, at the biggest supermarket. But because that's what's important. And I think, you know, there's a danger when technology is badly used and we just, we just, we're losing a sense of the brand soul. And that's exercise that needs to be applied. And and behind that, you know, there's this element where the government needs to support small businesses. I love this um, company um, that they had that they allow, you know, small businesses to be able to have a store for a week just to test it and then it disappeared. But again, it's a, it's a good way to just, just, you know, revive and bring excitement in a city or a town when it's necessary. Definitely. Well, I could actually talk to you for a whole episode on fast fashion, sustainability <laughs> and the role of technology companies. So we uh, we won't get into that. But yeah, it's such an important topic to explore. But kind of moving on, you know, before we start to kind of move to our quick fire round, which is a bit more lighthearted, a bit more about you personally, just want to cover a little bit more about kind of your experience and your leadership. So I mentioned in your bio earlier, which was one of the longest we've ever had, the many amazing roles that you take on. So how do you manage multiple high profile roles and how do you ensure uh, that you're kind of spreading your attention and your time uh, in the right places? That's a very good question. And, and I remember that one of my mentors told me that a long time ago is the way you need to split your time is in three, in three, in three categories, the business, the job and the busy. There's one task of busy, the, bus the business allows you to generate more revenue and bring, grow your business. The job is what you're being hired for. So in the business, for example, it would be having networking and talking to potential prospects, that's, that's a business. The job is mm. when you do the strategy. So therefore, can I delegate that? The busy is we spend time on social media, doing all sorts of things and look at cats videos and all sorts of things. So when you when you organize your day and, and think about what you're doing your day and at the end of the day it's like why are you spending most of the time? You're spending a lot more time and you're busy, you're definitely wasting your time. If you're spending time in, too much time in a job, then you're not delegating enough, which is a big mistake to make. Then in the business, that's where I focus most of my time because that's where I can really do high level, you know, delivery for the business. And that's why we say on earth you do all of this. I have my my thing is that I test it, I make it work, then I make a book of my of my tasks so I can just pass it on to somebody else to take over. That's simple as this. Process 
and delivery. And yeah, so we have a, we actually have a book of every single, every, everybody's role. So if tomorrow, so if tomorrow somebody mm-hmm. leaves, I can say, okay, well, there you go. This is the job of somebody else. You can read it. And then you can familiarize yourself with videos and all of these things. And it's easy. So it means I can, and that's also really why I've, I can take young people on board and they can very quickly and effectively from everybody else or take people who are much more senior. So yes, yeah, so it's really pretty much that the business, the job or the busy. Why are you spending most of your time in the business, the job or the just the busy? I love that. I'm writing that down and evaluating my life after this recording. <laughs> We've got a big job to do to write uh, books for each one of our job titles as well. That's going to take a little bit of time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, and as Darcy mentioned, you have had a very successful career. Uh, one, I'm sure that's not even close to the pinnacle just yet. It sounds like you've got a lot more to achieve. But let's look at, you know, some of your early influences and were there any particular standout experiences which have affected how you deal with challenges? Yes, I think when I think about influencers, the first person that always comes to my mind is always my mother. And, uh, you know, I was raised by a single mother, raised five children by, you know, by herself. And that's really hard, you know, to always make sure there's food on the table. You know, we, we didn't, you know, when I think, when I tell people I'm from Paris, people think, oh, wow, Eiffel Tower. I'm thinking, I lived in the ghetto. So let me just remind you that, you know, reality check. And, you know, your past doesn't define your future. That's very important, you know, so. Don't victimize yourself. It's very important. So I'm a perfect example of that. But yeah, so, you know, and also I was very lucky, you know, I wish I'd started sooner to have great, you know, have mentors. But now, you know, I always, you know, even now, you know, I always recommend people to have a mentor, no matter how old you are. Looking people, when you choose your mentors, you know, I have mentors who was really financially successful, but didn't have a great life balance. So they could tell me anything about business, but then, you know, what's the point if you don't have a rest, you know, and, um, you know, having the, you know, the right balance is, is more important because retire all the money in the world and nobody around you, <laughs> what's the point? And, um, so yes, yeah, so when I, when I, when I think about that, you know, I have, you know, before I could access mentors, I used to always listen to lots of content, read books from successful people. They didn't know they were my mentors, but they just listened to podcasts and, and you know, listening to you know, reading books or listening to audio books—that's how you find great influences. They don't have to be necessarily people that know you, but it's some people, you know, people that are great. And I think consuming content or information over time—that's what has helped me stay grounded. So, so yes, there's. It's really hard to name one specifically, but I have so many people out there that don't know and can be as well young people. I have conversation with younger, you know, young people who are full of energy and so driven and, and they see life from a different perspective. And that's one thing people need to think about when you, you recruit young people. They're not always, they're not really driven by money. They want to have a sense of purpose. If you give them that, mm. you know, they will give you 100% of their commitment and go beyond the expected. And I think that's what is amazing. And and um, it's no longer about having a job forever. They, they, they don't want to be in the same job forever. They want to move. They want to they want to be part of something amazing. So if you get that, then you, you can have people who are amazing and work with you and understand that nobody is meant to be working with you forever. It's part of the evolution, given the best time they can have with you. And that's why people have, you know, have left or moved to another country. We still have great relationships. Some of them you became great friends before, you know, even when I was their boss before. And that's what is amazing about life. It's evolution. Absolutely. Thank you so much, River. So many great insights there. Um, so we're going to close off with our quick fire round. So we're just going to fire some uh, 
quick answers at you. Go on. So kicking off, Flavilla, what's your guilty technology pleasure? My guilty technology pleasure. <laughs> this is a question. This is a good question. I must say uh, Instagram, is that what? Is that, would that be one? Yeah, Instagram is one. I mean, it always depends how much time he's been there. But yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram. I'm a visual person. So I, the reason why I love Instagram is that I feel myself on content and, you know, I love the more I consume information from other great, great talented people, the more he helps me create stuff. So, yeah, so that's why Instagram, I love it. We were going to ask you if it was TikTok or Instagram, but I think you just answered that question. So <laughs> what would your family say that you did for a living? <laughs> they would say I'm on BBC. That's really what they would say. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to figure out this is like what do you do i stop following that's why i say stop following what you do but i know that you're definitely on tv that's what they say she's on tv <laughs> they must be impressed then and then you're are you reading any books at the moment or anything i listen to a good podcast yes i i actually there's one thing i love it's called blinkist and if you heard about that this is one of my favorites so so it allows me to just fire up listen to one book per per day in the morning in the shower so it's basically a very short i love that so i was just listening how to be uh, how to be how to think like a parrot i don't know the right, the right title and i love as well uh, never split the bill so it's again psychology and negotiation i love that oh nice Maybe we'll uh, get Blinkist as a sponsor now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got your mention. Perfect. And then just to close things off, um, if I can just ask you, Flavella, what are the top one or two issues that you're working on that are top of mind today? For me, one of the top issues I'm working on is this diversity, you know, so really supporting and getting more black women, you know, breaks, breaking glass ceilings, that's one of them. And the next one is really helping people not go crazy for technology so bring technology back to human connection and i think people sometimes lose that so that's very important that you know we don't lose the purpose of technologies to bring people closer to one another and then from my perspective you spoke about the bbc and i know you um you know help business owners and provide advice and, and insight are there any sort of key bits of advice that that you leave your uh, those business owners with or would like to leave them with yeah, absolutely. I would say be big on your vision. You know, tell that vision with your team. Share it. Tell tell them why you're doing what you do beyond just the you know the product. If you're able to give them, you know, understand why you're in business, which is beyond the money, you would have people who will be your advocate, your your messiahs, whatever it is. So do that, you know, focus and tell their stories and don't forget to you know, to, to really say thank you to your team every day, I, you know, give them a sense of they, you appreciate them. The more appreciative you are of your team, the more they'll be loyal to you. So that's one thing that I would say to, to do as, as a leader is so important. I'll start doing that as of today. Thank you very much. <laughs> we, um, we actually have, um, we've, we've just rebranded our own agency and we've been really trying to follow um, that piece of advice in particularly so we've we've un, you know we've we found challenges with regards to how you you know promote your vision and make sure everyone understands it but um i think we're making inroads so i think it's a great piece of advice there thank you my pleasure 
Thank you so much, Flavilla. We really appreciated all of your insights. So Flavilla Fongang, thank you for your time. Uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, then please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you like to listen. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye.